Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen. And I'm cult survivor, cult expert, Sadie Carpenter. Today, we are talking about the liberal fundies. <laughs> Maybe not, they're not the liberal fundies. They're the fundies that, that say that Jack Hiles would have said was a liberal fundie. No. Uh, Correct. We're, we're, we're talking about uh, Jerry Falwell. The Moral Majority, Liberty University. This is part one of a two-part episode, so I'm really excited for this. We've been working on this one for a while, and we've been trying to figure out when we're going to do it, but it took a lot of research. We're really excited for this one. And of course, we are going to talk about the pool boy and all of that, (laughs) but we've got a fair amount of setup first because I think it's important. Um, I think it's fun to snark on Jerry Jr. for the pool boy incident. But I think it's more fun when we have some background on uh, why it's such a big deal. Yeah, and also this is um, this this story uh, of, of Jerry Falwell Sr. of Liberty University and and their involvement in the political sphere in the United States is a very important story to be talking about right now because there is like you know there are very real implications to the way that our laws are now and the way that our political system is now with the influence that certain people and certain groups have um and so it's important to understand why that is where that came from and that's what we're talking about today mainly in um this episode yeah so before we get into that the leaving eden podcast is the podcast about sadie carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental baptist cult uh we talk about this cult we talk about other cults we talk about the 
uh, religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there's a few things that you can do to support us. Uh, number one, you can head over to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, and you'll get access to an extended and censored, uncensored and ad-free version of most of our episodes. You can uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. All easiest thing that you can do, though. Hit that follow, hit that subscribe button, and recommend the show to your friends and your family, and your coworkers, your friends, your enemies, anybody who you might think might enjoy it. If you haven't heard it yet, we were guests on the She Read podcast uh, last week to talk about one of my favorite books, Emily of New Moon. Uh, and I picked a nice non-traumatic book. I could have done Elsie Densmore, and I didn't. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so that came out. Uh, last week on May 2nd, so by all means, check that out. And if you have a story for Pride Month, we will be reading listener stories in June. So if you have a story, anything related to queerness and fundamentalism, a funny story, a dramatic story, a triumphant story, anything that you have, we want them all. The email address for that is leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Make sure you include your name. Uh, and the name that you would like to go by on air if you need to use a pseudonym for any reason and include your pronouns so that we can be sure that we're referring to you correctly. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and I think without further ado, we've just got to thank our patrons. I gave it all to your patrons are Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley. True thank golden you champions so much of hand. To of Kathleen and Melissa. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons are Alex P., Alex Todd, two Alexes, wow, Alicia Guild, Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Brooke Tully, Carissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen the Musical, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Enchanted Fairy 1389, or it could be 1389, I don't know, 1389. Yeah, uh, Esther Muroff. Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Hears a Shane, Janine Callan, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Henwood, Kay Turwee, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Scooby Sleuth, Sir Tixalot, hashtag It's Cool, I Have Tourette's, LMAO, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, Tiffany Enderby, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you guys so much. Faith Promise Missions to your patrons, and I gave it all to your patrons, and everybody who subscribes to the Patreon, and everybody who just listens to the show. You guys are all amazing. Yeah, big thank you to, of course, all of our patrons over on Patreon, but also to listeners who leave us nice reviews and mention us to friends and family and post about us on social media. 
all of you are the reason that we have uh, such a great platform, such a great community and jobs. So we really appreciate you. Yeah, I do browse uh, like the podcasting subreddits and stuff like that. And there have been a few times in the past month when I've seen like our names pop mm -hmm. up and it's, it's kind of weird to just like see like us in the wild. You know we have the best listeners. We really do. We do. We love all of you. We love you guys so much. Um, Sadie, why don't you hit us with that TW and then we'll get into this episode. Okay. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we try our best to avoid any graphic detail on these topics unless it's relevant to the story that we're telling on that day. And if we are going to go into that kind of detail, we give you a heads up before we do so people who need to skip ahead can do so. This episode has a general content warning for racism and homophobia. It's not as brash or as intentionally hurtful as the Ruckman episode, for example, from a few weeks ago. It's a much um, more genteel presentation of the same very toxic concepts. We are going to read some quotes from Falwell on race and on LGBTQ people that are pretty awful, but we will give you a heads up before we get into that. Yeah, and we're also going to, I think we're going to play a few clips of him speaking as well. I'm going to, because okay. he, yeah. Um, but we'll always tell you if uh, for some reason his voice is a, a voice that triggers you. We'll ha uh, have a heads up before we play that. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned Peter Ruckman, though, because I have a question for you. Who do you think is more racist? Do you think Peter Ruckman or Jerry Falwell is more racist? Uh, or is this uh, getting into hot dogs versus showers territory? <laughs> it might. It might be because I, you know, I would trust jerry falwell to interact with an individual human being in person and not cause any harm to them a lot more than i would trust ruckman but falwell through his po political involvement did cause real harm and is still causing real harm to very real people in real life yeah that's true um because peter ruckman but he'd be a lot nicer in person so Peter Ruckman is much more likely to, to like just drop the N-word in conversation. Um, right. But... And he was so crude and vitriolic and awful about his personal brand of racism that he feels like the kind of guy who might actually physically harm someone as well. Right. And that's not who Falwell was. Yeah. No, Peter Ruckman said that he agreed with the KKK. So yeah. that's... Just never a good place to start. No, no. Uh, Jerry Falwell, like, personally ruined American politics for more than half a century because he didn't want to share a society with people who weren't the same color as him. That's kind of, I, in, in, I mean, that's extremely hateful. Anyway, I'm going to uh, give a little biography of, of who this guy is, of who Jerry Falwell is, and, and, and how his career went. Um, that sounds great. Yeah, so he was born in 1933. Uh, his father was a bootlegger, a drunk, and a murderer. All-around bad guy. And his grandfather was even worse. His grandfather was an atheist. Um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So in his younger days, Jerry Falwell was a known troublemaker. Uh, when he was 16, he started attending Park Avenue Baptist Church, where he met Maisel Pate, who is a, a piano player there. 
and she, he, he fell in love with her um and he decided to attend baptist bible college in springfield missouri so that he could break up uh young miss pate and her fiance he was ultimately successful and in 1958 uh jerry and maysell were married uh, having graduated from bible college two years earlier from baptist bible college in 1956 just after graduating from bible college Jerry Falwell founded Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. He started this church with only 35 members. However, this ministry gave 23-year-old Jerry Falwell the platform from which he could launch Old Time Gospel Hour, uh, which was a radio and TV broadcast that once syndicated made him a household name. So uh, just some context for this. Uh, during this time, preaching over radio broadcast was not a new or novel concept. Pretty much as soon as radio was adopted by Americans in the 1920s, preachers started using it to broadcast sermons. And in the 1950s, uh, post-war prosperity, more and more Americans were buying televisions. And Falwell capitalized on this new medium to reach a wider audience. Uh, he, of course, did not invent this idea, and he wasn't the only one to do it. Uh, there were many others, including uh, Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, Pat Robertson, um, all of them. Uh, those are among a few who saw success with their television broadcasts. And there were numerous others who also tried but didn't see the same success as Jerry Falwell. But in the 21st century... The name Jerry Falwell is synonymous with with modern uh, televangelism as we conceive of it today. I think he's Sadie. Would you say that Falwell was probably the most famous fundamental uh, famous televangelist in history? I don't know because I wasn't allowed to watch televangelists because they're all liberal compromisers. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, really like funny. a world that was as distant from me as it was from you. That's so fascinating to hear, though. But the so have you listened to uh, since doing that? You've listened to some Jerry Falwell. You've watched some of his broadcasts. Yeah, just a couple uh, minutes here and there. The thing that really struck me, and and it makes sense why he would be successful, is that he was like he was very good at it. Um, while I personally have issues with evangelical Christianity, I will give Jerry Falwell credit where credit is due. Having listened to him preach, having watched his broadcast i can say that he's the biggest thing i think is that he speaks at a level that you could understand if you didn't have a massive amount of bible knowledge but and this is the important part he doesn't like talk down to his audience he includes an appropriate amount of information like it's kind of like when you want to learn about a topic and you just watch a youtube video about that topic and that you're like interested to learn about and and the person just gives you a very good amount of information on it and it's just like wow i feel like i really learned something today like you after watching the broadcast if you were really interested in that brand of christianity you would feel like oh wow i really learned something after watching this broadcast so Falwell, i think he has a likable personality on the broadcast and in these early sermons he's very clearly like a young man doing it too which is kind of wild to see like he's younger than us when he started this he, he was like 23 and we're like 30. So yeah, by the time this episode comes out, you're 30. <laughs> Did you have I'm, a clip of a sermon that you'd like to include for our listeners? Yeah. Why don't I just um, include, a, in, include a Jerry Falwell clip right here? Too many of God's servants today are majoring on minors. 
I think this is one reason why the true church of God finds so much division in its ranks. I was with a preacher the other day. He's a good man. He's a godly man. He believes the Bible preaches exactly what we preach here. But in our conversation, I carelessly and unknowingly mentioned the name of another preacher. Right away, this man was turned off and he allowed me to know quickly that he had nothing to do with so-and-so. When I asked him why, he began to tell me. He said, well, first of all, that fellow is mixed up on the coming of the Lord. He is mixed up on his doctrine of the second coming, and he gave me the reason why he thought he was mixed up. Now, I happened to agree with a man to whom I was talking about the premillennial, pre-tribulational coming of the Lord Jesus for all of his church. But I also happened to believe that the man he was mad with was a great man of God with a love for Christ and a love for souls. It's very easy for us to major on minors. And let me qualify what I'm saying. I don't think we should have as a basis of fellowship a man's belief on the coming of the Lord, whether it be pre-millennial or post-millennial, whether it be mid-trib rapture or so forth. I don't think that should be a basis of fellowship. We do require all of our teachers and workers and staff members, everybody who participates in this ministry, to stand where we stand. But at the same time, we have a deep love and appreciation for other men of God who do not hold our position, but who likewise love our Lord and believe this Bible. Basis of fellowship is not on what a man believes about the coming of Christ. So you were speaking about how he doesn't talk down to his audience. I think this is a key to his popularity and actually the popularity of a lot of televangelists. Anytime anyone is talking about theology, even myself, it's very easy to either talk over your audience's heads, be too complicated using theological terms that aren't accessible to all of your audience, or on the other hand, unintentionally underestimate your audience and talk down to them accidentally. I think that a televangelist that people want to watch is someone who's putting this information on their level and relating it to real things in their lives because people who are engaging with religion in the way that, like, if you're a person who is watching religious content on TV, you're not looking to learn about the extreme fine points of some theological thing. You're looking for something from the Bible that can help you get through your day at your work the next day or deal with something that's gone wrong in your life. You're looking for something that's a little bit more tangible. And I think this is why, like, you know, the theology bros that we see on Twitter, that's why, like, none of them have that X factor. None of them are that guy who... Mm-hmm. It, it, none of them have any appeal really to most Christians who just like go to church because they want to feel like they're in touch with God or because they want to be inspired by Jesus or because they want to think about the bigger questions in life or they want like real tangible advice. Like John MacArthur could never be that guy because he's he's just an <laughs> and all he does is he he just like talks about really fine details of theology and then he insults anyone who's like wait could you explain that to me i don't get it yeah but i mean like they're just people like that they're just too condescending 
and they gatekeep and they insult and they say basically like if you don't know all of these doctrines how can you really go to heaven like Falwell is is the exact opposite of that which is one of the huge parts of his appeal I think right and I do want to take a minute to talk about his theology and what he actually preached and believed something that I think Jerry Falwell senior was really good at was building a brand he branded himself really precisely and I think that contributed as well to his success he was a Baptist. He was a fundamentalist. And he didn't hide that he was a fundamentalist. He didn't hide that label away somewhere in a footnote or whisper it as if it were a bad word. But what he wanted to do was brand himself as, well, I'm the fundamentalist who isn't scary like those other fundamentalists. Like, see, fundamentalism is just a way of thinking about things. And it doesn't make me unpleasant. It doesn't, we can find common ground. In marketing terms, he saw an underserved market niche and filled that niche for people who whose beliefs lined up with fundamentalism but didn't want to be seen as crude or scary or uh, out there. Right, because he's not like fire and brimstone the same way that. Oh no! Jack See, I, I'm not no. like the, I'm not going to yell at you about going to hell. You know, I have my own fundamentalist beliefs, but I think we can all get along. That's kind of where he was coming from. He was just slightly to the right of mainstream evangelicalism and the more liberal Southern Baptist churches out there, but he was notably slightly to the left of old school fundamentalists like Jack Hiles, J. Frank Norris, John R. Rice, and he was he was a, a Southern Baptist was the, right his so he was on yeah you know middle to the conservative in the middle to the conservative side of southern baptist at the time and you know the southern baptist church is one of the largest denominations if not the largest denomination in the united states uh it's not a monolith there are southern baptist churches that are queer affirming there are southern baptist churches that are all but indistinguishable from ifb there, there is a, a large range even now of what a Southern Baptist church can be. So I tried to look up his actual theological beliefs because I have not mentioned yet any of his theological beliefs. Uh, we've talked about you know, more his, his social beliefs or his, his thoughts on how to present himself. It turns out that his theological beliefs are kind of hard to find. You can find lots of information online about his political beliefs, his social beliefs, about morality. What it looks like to me is that Falwell was committed to a very literal, very straightforward, very mainline, and broadly fundamentalist theology. He preached creationism, biblical literalism, the infallibility of scripture. He preached a literal heaven and hell and a premillennial pre-tribulation rapture. But when it got to things like repentance or King James onlyism that fundamentalists were not as unified on, he gave more non-committal answers that seemed like they were intended to please as many people as possible. So, for example, Falwell personally used the King James Version in his broadcasts, but he wasn't willing to do what Jack Hiles would have done and loudly condemn other versions. So when he read for the King from the King James Version on his television show, he would tell viewers at home to follow along in just whatever version they had available, rather than exhorting them to go out and get you a King James. He said that he believed the Bible was the perfect word of God, but he also said openly that believing the Bible was the perfect word of God wasn't necessary to go to heaven. 
that all that was necessary to go to heaven huh. was to believe in Jesus to take to forgive you of your sins. So his ideas of what was the right belief and what was the wrong belief were very stringent. But his ideas of what does and doesn't send you to heaven were pretty lax, which is what allowed him to partner with Catholics because he still con considered Catholics to be believing in Jesus to take away your sins and take you to heaven. Yeah, but did he believe in ransom atonement or? Uh... <laughs> yeah, he has. I'm sure he knew. That's the thing. I'm sure he had a very particular belief system about atonement, but he would never go say that on TV or especially he'd never go tell you you were wrong if you believed in other thing. If you believe in penal substitution, then you're going to hell. Like that's that's <laughs> no, that's not him. Right. He would because, never get that specific. Right. And um, that was a brilliant branding move because then all the people who believe in all the different types of atonement can listen to him preaching a sermon about atonement and still agree with him. Yeah. And also, like, if he starts talking about ransom atonement versus penal substitution, then no one's going to know what the f talking about. Like, most of the people right. watching his broadcast aren't going to know what in the hell he's talking about. In researching for this episode, I was so surprised to hear how conservative Jerry Falwell was. Really? Really? That I find that so interesting. I find that so funny. Cuz like in my house growing up, Jerry Falwell was worse than the devil. Like I mean, I don't we didn't really wow. believe in the devil, but like Jerry Falwell, if the devil existed, Jerry Falwell was worse than him. Jerry Falwell was like his his meaner uncle because i mean granted like my dad went to medical school in san francisco in the 19 in like the early 1980s and he witnessed the aids epidemic firsthand so all the stuff that falwell had to say about that and that was like in the heyday of like when the moral majority was really powerful and and really influential and falwell was out here saying all of this stuff my dad was witnessing all of the horrible things that were going on firsthand and i don't know like i don't know if his name was worse than like george bush's name when i was growing up but he was like big bad. Like I remember when he died and the consensus was very much less rest in peace. It was very much more of a like good riddance to that guy. So I grew up Hiles Camp IFB. So what I was hearing preached was don't grow up and become a God hating compromising liberal like Jerry Falwell. <laughs> I heard tales about how Liberty University is just as immoral and terrible as any other college, except for students have to go to chapel. And, you know, they let female students wear pants, for goodness sake. So <laughs> it's funny because both of us grew up hating Jerry Falwell just from opposite directions. I think we found like the exact middle ground inflection point for our childhoods. <laughs> you know what we got to do? We got to get like that meme where it's like, you know, the two hands grabbing together where it's like fundies and liberals and it's Jerry Falwell in the middle. <laughs> That's what I'll put for like the, the, the Instagram post for this episode now. So you, you had mentioned when we were prepping for this episode, this whole hating Falwell from opposite directions thing. And I thought I would look into a little bit why Hiles and Hiles Camp fundamentalists hated Falwell so much. Yeah, it's yeah, that is so funny because Fundy Beef is 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 funny to me because as we spoke about a few weeks ago with Peter Ruckman and Steven Anderson, sometimes like the Fundies go after each other and they have like good points, but sometimes <laughs> they go after each other and it's just like this is so in the like I don't understand this at all. So and and the ones that you don't understand are often more interesting to me. 
because they're like niche theological concepts and those branch off into other theological concepts. And that says a lot about a person if you speak Bundy code. It's like the hyper dispensationalism. And I'm just like, right. this is like. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because that doesn't mean anything to you, but that means a ton to me. So it's interesting. So when I was looking into this Falwell Hiles beef, I found out that it doesn't seem like Falwell had any beef with Hiles at all. It's a one-way fundy beef. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. So according to the book of Jerry Falwell by Susan Friend Harding, Jerry Falwell was holding monthly meetings in the 1970s with a group of fundamentalist pastors. And I'm sure we'll talk more about those meetings and how they turned into the moral majority in this episode. But as late as 1976, Falwell and Hiles were publicly associated with each other through this uh, pre-moral majority group. This is around the same time that Hiles was still affiliated with Bob Jones University. He was preaching at their commencements. He was uh, associating with a lot of these people that he later called liberals and compromisers and all of that. Sometime mm. after 1976, this changed for Jack Hiles, and I wanted to find out what happened. So, so Hiles was basically just like talking about Falwell and Falwell didn't even respond. Yeah. Um, when Hiles died in 2001, actually, Jerry Falwell Sr. gave a very nice statement. Uh, he said that Hiles was a great soul winner and he brought many people to God and inspired him personally. Dude, that's f***ing cold. That's so cold. Like, I mean, Falwell, of course he knew that Hiles wasn't that dude and he wasn't big or mainstream enough to warrant a response to, like, any of the criticisms that Hiles threw at him. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, <laughs> so, Hiles' stated reasons for being against Falwell were ecumenicalism, so his willingness to partner in the moral majority with not only many other denominations and types of Christians, but also... Catholics and Jews? Oh no. Um, and Hiles believed that Falwell was an early supporter of contemporary Christian music. It's true that Falwell formed a political alliance with a lot of different types of conservatives. Even people on his own board were not super happy with his inclusion of non-Protestant Christians and Jewish conservatives in the moral majority. However, the idea that Falwell somehow started contemporary Christian music is not really accurate at all. The most interesting theory that I was able to find online was that maybe Jack Hiles was jealous that Falwell became the poster child for fundamentalism instead of Hiles being the poster child for fundamentalism. And this is that it's just hearsay. It's just a theory, but it does make a lot of sense to me. We know that Hiles was so proud of getting named the world's largest Sunday school. We know that he loved that kind of accolade and fame. This is the man who let little girls sing about how much they loved him outside his office door and accepted offerings from his people of hundreds and hundreds of Reese's peanut butter cups. So it does track that he would be mad that somebody else overtook him as the poster boy for fundamentalism. And if that were true, it would make sense that Hiles would attack Falwell and say he's not a real fundamentalist because now Hiles is trying to reclaim his spot as the king of the real fundamentalists. But also, like, who cares if you have the largest Sunday school and, and you're, like, busing kids to church? 
you know like that's the right. I, I feel like in the fundy beef equals rap beef metaphor that's like the equivalent of yeah i got the most streams on spotify well you paid for those streams you know what i'm saying or like it's, it's like paying mm-hmm. for bots like paying for instagram followers <laughs> like right. why does oh, why like does Bethany Jim- <laughs> oh man no, but like, it, it really, it's it's like, why does Jerry Falwell care if Jack Hiles is busing poor kids to Sunday school like every every Sunday and he's just like sending buses around because Jerry Falwell is on TV nationwide and everyone knows who he is. Like, why does it matter if Jack Hiles has a bigger Sunday school technically than he does? In the Hiles fundamentalist world, every one of those bus kids counts as like another number, another person that you can count for your church and it does mean something to the Hiles brand fundamentalists even though it doesn't mean much to more moderate fundamentalists like Jerry Falwell. So this is just an internet theory but it does track for me. It would explain why the hatred only goes one way like why Hiles talked about Falwell up and down for years but Falwell gave a nice gracious statement on his death and um, maybe Falwell's ecumenicalism was a convenient excuse for Hiles to write him off as not a real fundamentalist. So that's going to be one of the themes of this episode is, is uh, Falwell's uh, what he's really prioritizing here, as opposed to somebody like Jack Hiles. Falwell is, you know, a Southern gentleman and Jack Hiles is as well. He, there were a lot of bits of his Southern upbringing that he brought with him to Northwest Indiana. But also, like, if you're Jack Hiles and Jerry, if you're Jerry Falwell and Jack Hiles says some about you, you're just like, who the f- cares? Like, that, that. <laughs> anyway. Right. And, and Falwell's got, you know, he's got this huge church. He's got a bigger college. He's got money that Hiles could only dream of uh, that would have bought so many fur coats for his mistress. So, like, I, that would, that would explain well why Falwell does not care that Hiles is. <laughs> calling him all sorts of names. So Falwell did believe that Christians and especially fundamentalists are to be separated and distinct from the world. He preached that Christians should be different in clothing, activities, etc. from the world around them, but his standards for Liberty University were far looser than the rules, for example, at Hiles Anderson or Pensacola Christian College. I hinted at this earlier when I was talking about the Hiles-Falwell beef. The thing that Falwell didn't do was engage in secondary separation. Remember secondary separation? Yeah, in Bob, jo- we talked about in the Bob Jones mm-hmm. episode. You can't just be separated from the world. you got to separate from the people who aren't separated enough from the world. He, he didn't do that. Instead, he partnered with them. He formed coalitions with them. He preached at their churches and allowed them to speak at his school. He wanted to bring everyone together for a common goal, while people like Jack Hiles, Bob Jones Sr., wanted to only associate with the people who believed the same that they did. And I think that's the meat of the issue that Jack Hiles had with Falwell. So Jack Hiles is like slam and Jerry Falwell is like deathcore or melodic death metal. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to put it in terms that because when I talk about like rap beefs and stuff, you're going to you never pay attention to that stuff. But I figure you'd know the metal one. <laughs> no. Um, one interesting tidbit I found in um, the Jerry Falwell Jr. Vanity Fair profile which was following the 
pool boy scandal is that Jerry Falwell Sr. only went hard into the like the puritanical, like anti-gay, racist direction because he wanted to prove to his wife that he was in it for real. But once he made like friendly racism his style, he understood that there was like a market for it and there was like huge financial opportunities. Which kind of reminds me of of saying uh, there was a saying of President Johnson, President Lyndon Johnson. The quote is. If you can convince the lowest white man that he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for you. And that's kind of how I see a guy like Jerry Falwell. Because thanks to the success of the old time gospel hour, the the Thomas Road Baptist Church became a mega church with, with 10,000 people in attendance in 1971. At this time, Falwell decided to start Lynchburg Baptist College, which five years later, he changed the name to Liberty Baptist College uh, in honor of the bicentennial of the United States. And in 1984, uh, the addition of a postgraduate program uh, prompted them to change the name from Liberty College to uh, from Liberty Baptist College to Liberty University. But so a few months ago, we talked about Bob Jones University. And we talked about how Bob Jones University is like the cultural center of Christian fundamentalism and the evangelical right. But Liberty University is the political center of that. Liberty is known as like the breeding ground, right-wing political activism. So if you look at like Liberty University's notable alumni, there are dozens of Republican lawmakers. There's members of various state houses, state senates, U.S. House reps, as well as... um, Tony Perkins, who is the president of the Family Research Council. Important to note, Liberty University is not a fake college like Hiles Anderson College or uh, or, or various other fundy Bible colleges or uh, Patriot Bible University, uh, <laughs> where Kent Hovind got his doctor bet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the B is for Morgan. <laughs> no, Liberty University is a real school. And aside from their political activism, they have like real, actual, notable alumni, like musicians. They are like one of the members of Casting Crowns went to Liberty. Uh, they have pro athletes. Um, uh, Seth Curry, who's the brother of Steph Curry, and and Seth Curry currently plays for the Brooklyn Nets and formerly played for my favorite NBA team, the Portland Trailblazers, although his Christian faith clearly did not keep him from choking in the postseason when the Blazers were swept by uh, in the Western Conference Finals by the Golden State Warriors, whatever. Um, Liberty University has many notable alumni. I think much more like mainstream notable alumni than a school like Bob Jones would. But it's also, don't like, that doesn't make it like a mainstream school. It's also an extremely conservative, extremely like right wing political institution. Um, and it was founded by Jerry Falwell. And that's, I think, and that's like part of the legacy of his political activism. And in talking about Liberty university, it is now time to talk about Jerry Falwell's political activism. Um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Cause th- this is like the big thing. American history time. 1954, the United States Supreme Court rules in the case of Brown versus the Board of Education, monumental Supreme Court decision, overturned 60 years of precedence set by the 1896 case of Plessy v. Ferguson, 
the decision of that the precedent was that racial segregation did not violate the United States Constitution. And in Brown versus the Board of Education, the court ruled that actually racial segregation does violate the United States Constitution and that separate but equal is not, in fact, equal. So therefore, public schools must integrate. Two years later, 23-year-old Jerry Falwell starts his church and televangelism ministry. And do you know what he is preaching about or preaching against? Uh, desegregation. Yeah, he's preaching against integration. That's the thing. Uh, he, he doesn't. Like... I was really. I would have liked to be wrong about that. Yeah. Mm. And he's he, so he's preaching against the integration of schools, integration of libraries, integration of swimming pools. And you know who is public enemy number one, persona non grata for Jerry Falwell, is the Reverend Doctor Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, so dear. yeah. So for the next decade, Falwell, in line with many other Southern Baptist ministries, preaches against civil rights for black people and against racial integration and against voting rights. Yeah, not great. Yeah. Like to to his um, I don't want to say to his credit, um, but this is pretty common in the Southern Baptist Church around this time. Well, yeah. It's the, I mean, it, especially regarding the history of the Southern Baptist Church with regards to slavery, it's not out of character. Why not? I don't think we need any more holidays. Why not a Martin Luther King Day? Uh, I just uh, feel that there are other black Americans and the corporate body of black Americans who are due honor more than one recent individual about whom there's a great question mark even to this moment. What is the question mark? Uh, the question mark is that uh, so far all the records on him are sealed. And neither you, Tom, nor I really know you, what they're going to say. Are you talking about his personal character, yes, his personal correct. morality, and his yes. personal life, and he may as well as, as any connection? He may be as clean as Billy Graham, but we don't know that because the records are sealed. In 1966, uh, following the, the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Jerry Falwell opens the Lynchburg Christian Academy, which was a Christian school for white people only. Just like how we talked about, yeah, so in the Bob Jones University episode, we talked about uh, white flight from public schools to private Christian schools that were allowed to discriminate based on the race of students. That was very much a thing in the South at the time, and 1960s, Jerry Falwell was a proponent of this. So in the early 1970s, uh, the, the right-wing uh, segregationists, the reactionary politicians in the United States found themselves at a disadvantage. Following the victories for justice in the passage of the, of the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, um, the Roe v. Wade decision, as well as the serious weakness within the Republican Party following the Watergate scandal, Nixon's resignation, and Ford's pardoning of Nixon, the political right-wing in the United States had pretty large demographic problem, much like they do today, uh, I should note. Baby boomers were significantly more liberal than their parents. They were significantly less puritanical when it came to sex, and they were more likely to be accepting of queer people uh, than their parents' generation was. And the 1976 presidential election saw one of the biggest rebukes for an incumbent political party in American history. Uh, when the when the American people elected Jimmy Carter over uh, Gerald Ford in 1976, Jerry Falwell went on tour. He was a well-known evangelist minister nationwide because uh, of the success of his his radio and the, his TV broadcasts. 
and his political outspokenness. He called this tour the I Love America tour, and he spent he would basically go from city to city and promote right-wing social conservative causes. But most importantly, this was very unusual for a Southern Baptist minister because up until this point, it was unusual for the Southern Baptist denomination to be heavily politically involved. This, however, was probably like the, he was at the time, I think probably the most famous Southern Baptist minister in the country. And he was basically just cannonballing into the political sphere. There was also, if I'm not mistaken, there was also a lot of kind of mixing of religion and nationalism in 1976 uh, because of the bicentennial yes so it was kind of just a, a great year for christian nationalism unfortunately yeah and they kind of were just like riding this way because it, it was like oh no we're about to get destroyed in this election how do we retool for the next one that kind of of, yeah. of vibe um and i have a quote from jerry falwell that that he gave in 1976 during this time that kind of illustrates this so this he says the idea that religion and politics don't mix was invented by the devil to keep christians from running their own country if um uh. any place in the world we need christianity it's washington and that's why preachers long since need to get over that intimidation forced on a forced upon us by the liberals that if we mention anything about politics we are degrading our ministry. Oh, that's a quote. That's Lovely. a uh, yeah. Um, so this essentially opened up the floodgates for Southern Baptists to get as involved as they felt necessary within American politics. The main issues that they campaigned on were abortion, welfare, education, all of you, basically all of the issues that you could talk about from a concerned point of view without coming across as like a huge racist now that it like wasn't really considered socially acceptable to be against integration or, or voting rights for black people and in 1979 falwell founded the moral majority with heritage foundation co-founder paul Weirich. uh the primary goal of the moral majority was to mobilize christian voters in the 1980 presidential election and beyond and they were ultimately successful because Ronald Reagan won in a landslide claiming uh, the majority of votes in 44 states and ushering in a decade of right-wing national policies at the federal level. So Falwell was essentially able to forge an alliance between the dyed-in-the-wool racists and, and corporate interests and, uh, and religious fundamentalists and, and religious conservatives, and that became the backbone of the Republican Party up until about eight to ten years ago when they were able to add more blue-collar working-class voters into their fold, as well as make significant inroads into Catholics, who until that time were mostly Democratic voters. So basically, all of the bullshit that's going on in U.S. politics today, you can trace back to uh, flaming racist 23-year-old Jerry Falwell being angry about having to be in the same room as a person who's a different color than him. So I have a question. What is the moral majority? Is it like a club where you have a membership? Is it a 501c3 organization? Is it more of a movement like the IFB or Black Lives Matter? Like what is, is there an organizational structure? So it was like an official organization. Like it was, a, it was something that you could fundraise for, you could donate money to, and then they would. Okay. Yeah. 
I, I mean, just, uh, that was something I wasn't clear on and needed to know. Yeah. So it wasn't like, a, I mean, it was, it, it wasn't like, a, it had like actual legal status. It wasn't like, oh, this is a, a secret shadowy club that meets behind closed doors. We're like the Illuminati. We don't exist on paper. But like, anyway, in case you didn't hate Jerry Falwell enough, uh, just from that story, here's a couple of quotes from him that I would like to uh, just read out to tell you what kind of a guy this guy is. This is going to be fun. Yeah, this is going to be, this is the fun part. And this is a a lot of trigger warnings for what all. Yeah, for everything. Uh, Um, Yeah, homophobia and racism and. Misogyny, that kind of stuff. Uh, All all the good. Yeah, okay. Um, On September 13th, 2001, two days after Al-Qaeda terrorists used hijacked airplanes to destroy the World Trade Center and damage the Pentagon and kill almost 3,000 people, Jerry Falwell had this to say, um, and this is a direct quote, the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, people for the American way, all of them who have tried to secularize America, I point the finger in their face and say, you helped this happen. Oh dear. No mm, no. You know who else has this stance? Who? The Westboro Baptist Church. Because yeah. what, because th- what that's their whole thing. Their whole thing is that they go to uh fallen soldiers' funerals and say, Your son died because there's gay people in America. The thing is, while he did apologize for that statement a few days later, the week before he died, he gave an interview in which he that he says that while he was insensitive when he made that statement, gays and lesbians and and the ACLU and feminists are responsible for 9-11. He wasn't he says that he wasn't incorrect in making that statement. Oh man. So, so the he dude was an unrepentant hate monger. Here's another bar from him. You want to hear one? Uh <laughs> Not really, but I think I have to. This is from him. He says, I hope I live to see the day when, as in the early days of our country, we won't have any public schools. The churches will have taken them over again and Christians will be running them. What a happy day that will be. No. Absolutely the f- not Jerry Falwell. Yeah, that's that's who he that's who he is. That's what he says. I have another quote for you. Uh, and this one, TW for extreme homophobia. And we're dealing with the same right now. Here's a quote from him. He says, the homosexuals are on the march in this country. Please remember, the homosexuals do not reproduce. They recruit. And many of them are after my children and your children. But do you know, um, remind me, did Falwell start the they don't reproduce, they recruit thing? Like that is so, that is such a common thing that we're seeing now with fear mongering about trans people. So we talked about it last year during Pride Month, and it wasn't Falwell. It was a Christian musician, but she was associated with Falwell, and he adopted the phrase as well. Either way, yeah, it is It is basically the same thing that we're hearing about LGBTQ community today, and it's just as vile now as it was then. And also, it's just as vile then as it is now, and mm-hmm. you can't excuse somebody for saying it by saying it. Like, it was a deeply unnecessary thing for him to say. It's just, yeah. Well, I remember talking about this. It's literally the same, like they're transing your children rhetoric, 
Um, and this is what I mean. I said this in the Ruckman episode, but this is what I mean when I say that racism is boring, homophobia is boring, transphobia is boring. It is the same thing over and over repackaged about once every 30 to 40 years. It gets a new, it gets a brand update, but it's the same conspiracy theory, the same lie. And I'm, I'm sick and tired of having to fight things that should have been over so long ago. How do you think I feel about anti-Semitism and the protocols? It's the same sh**. No, you're right. And like, you, you, we do have to keep fighting it. And I'm not saying that we somehow shouldn't. I wouldn't want that that to be misinterpreted. But I am. It's tiring having to fight the same things that should have been over so long ago. Because when it is the same lie, the same narrative repackaged every 30 to 40 years, it's the same logical rebuttal every 30 to 40 years. This is, of course, why it's very important for the Jewish community and the LGBTQ communities to him together. One among many reasons why we oh, should. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, here are a few other quotes from Falwell, just to make sure that if that you know that despite how you know people's legacy and and after they die, they're painted as like okay, like oh well, we remember this person fondly, like or, or with rose-colored glasses. This guy was a hate preacher the whole time. I'm I'm not going to I you know he was not a fire and brimstone kind of guy like Jack Hiles but he was a hate preacher the whole time and this is a quote for you AIDS is the wrath of a just god against homosexuals to oppose it would be like an israelite jumping in the red sea to save one of pharaoh's charioteers AIDS is not just god's punishment for homosexuals it is god's punishment for the society that tolerates homosexuals Shut the you, Jerry. Fuck up, Jerry. Dude, like people, f- like so many fucking people died of AIDS, man. That's fucked up. That's a fucked up thing to say, no matter who you are. Like that is that is a terrible, terrible thing to say, because you know it is obviously we do not support the idea that queer people, LGBTQ people, are in any way sinning by being who they are on this podcast. But even if you do believe that somebody is sinning, it is not okay to go say that a horrible disease is God's punishment on earth for their sin. Like that is, there are two levels of not okay here. I think like at the time that he was saying this, or at least starting to say this, people in society were really paranoid about HIV AIDS. They did not know how it was spread. They potentially believed that it was something they could contract themselves, even if they were, even from from shaking somebody's hand or giving a hug or drinking out of the same drinking glass as somebody. Those were myths that were prominent uh, in the 80s and 90s. And somebody that people respect, like Jerry Falwell, publicly saying, oh, this is a punishment from God, that is going to turn these people from simply uneducated to hateful. It gives people a validation for hateful beliefs. And that's why this is so upsetting. Yeah. And just like, I mean, like I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, this was like when when the AIDS epidemic really came off when like Ronald Reagan was the president. Um, and it was the beginning of his presidency. And Jerry Falwell had massive influence on the, and the moral majority was very influential in that administration. And yeah. the way that Ronald Reagan and the Reagan administration did not effectively respond to the AIDS epidemic was like that legitimately cost thousands and thousands of people their lives. And like, it's like to say a thing like this, you literally have to believe that other people like don't exist. 
like that they're not human and they, they, they don't exist. That's a, this is a psychopathic, mm -hmm. this is a f***ed up thing to say about anybody. It's, it's so f***ed. Like, this was not an okay thing to say then. It's definitely not an okay thing to say now, but it's still like, it even back then, it was not a good thing to, like, no, like, there's no, like, way to smooth that over. No, especially, mm, no, I'm, no. Let's move on. I can't do that. I can't do that anymore. You know what else he did? Uh, he accused Tinky Winky of the Teletubbies of promoting the gay agenda because apparently purple is the gay pride color and the triangle is the gay pride symbol. Oh, dear. I don't know why Jerry Falwell thought that the triangle was the gay pride symbol, but if it's to do with the Holocaust, that's also up. Yeah, and this got spread around absolutely everywhere. I'm sure you knew that, but none of the fundy kids I grew up with were allowed to watch Teletubbies because this is one that really took hold. Really? So Jack Hiles was paying attention to Jerry Falwell. Like Hiles Camp IFB was like, oh, Jerry Falwell, he's on to something there. No, like, because if you don't know what I'm talking about, enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know? We all know that like the Nazis made Jews wear the, the Star of David to, to like distinguish them, they made gay people wear the triangle. Mm -hmm. And that was like the, 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 and like, so the, I don't understand why he, like him saying the triangle is the gay pride. So I'm like, no, the f it isn't like, that's nuts. That's a, cr like, I don't know why he would. I feel like <sighs> I heard that growing up too. I mean, you're, you're involved with the queer community much more than I am. Have you ever seen the, the triangle is the pride? Symbol? I've never seen that before. Oh, I'm shooting from the hip here. Um, I seem to vaguely remember that there may have been a like reclaiming the triangle thing very, I mean, relatively recently in the last 10 years that kind of fizzled out, but not not that I'm aware of at the time that Falwell would have been saying this book Teletubbies now. Yeah, there's some like reclaiming this thing. Some of those like hit. Some of those really do hit, and they're like, "Oh man, I'm 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 all for it." Like the word queer. Well, even like yeah, I was gonna say like the word queer is more and more being very accepted, especially by um, younger generations, like forty and under, at right now, and older LGBT people often struggle with that because that's a word that was used to hurt them when they were our age now reclaiming reclaiming slurs and reclaiming negative imagery is very much a thing um but i don't think that one took hold if i'm even remembering correctly that it was a thing the other thing that that jerry falwell did he equated supporting a federal law legally recognizing same-sex marriage nationwide as the equivalent to being against slavery personally but okay with it if your neighbor owned slaves what yes so he's like slavery is uh, slavery was immoral. this is this is evil so if you're against it you shouldn't be you shouldn't support other people being able to do it yes that's it that's his oh, that's... idea yeah but i think that's ironic because jerry falwell built an entire career off of being a racist who opposed racial equality and integration and civil rights for the actual living descendants of the same enslaved people who he was using as the metaphor to spread his hate against gay people. It's just... Falwell did come back later in life, even as early as like the late 80s, early 90s, and say that he was wrong about race in the past and he regretted his hardcore segregationist sermons. But he wasn't <sighs> really saying he was sorry for being racist. <laughs> 
He was just sorry for being racist and mean about it rather than racist and nice about it as he attempted to be in his later years. Dude, Jerry Falwell invented the YouTuber apology. That's oh. what he... <laughs> I will grow and I will learn and I will become better in the future. Please keep supporting my content. Here, click the donation link below. <laughs> Make sure you ring that bell and subscribe. <laughs> so I think... <laughs> This would be a good time to go take up our offer. Speaking of, <laughs> let's go take up the offering. Yeah. Um, at least we don't ask people for money on the offering break. <laughs> um, when we get back, uh, I read the Liberty School rule book. That might be fun. Yeah, let's go More into fun that. More be... horrible racism. Yeah, right? I, I hate racism. Dude, it's, it's such bull****, man. Like, I'm... Yeah. I'm tired anyway we're gonna take up the offering um has this ever happened to you i went to sunday school every sunday and now i can't hear a loud horn without having an anxiety attack hi i'm recently deceased but never forgotten christian music sex symbol common i'm calling collect from the big house meaning heaven not jail to tell you how to get answers for your religious traumas I started the excommunication station, and now I realize my empathy felt weird when I was a kid, and how the Council for National Policy, a shadowy Christian organization, controls just about fucking everything in America. So if you've been looking for answers, or if you've ever been on the outside wondering, hey, what's really going on in the church? These gobble ghouls have the info you need. So look up the excommunication station wherever you get your podcasts and all the socials under XCOMPOD. Peace be with you. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. We are back from our break. Uh, we just talked about Jerry Falwell and his hateful and discriminatory preaching and his political activism. But that's not all we're here to talk about today. We're talking about Liberty University. Yeah, I want to talk about the functioning of this university 
Liberty is interesting because it is not a ministry of Thomas Road Baptist Church in the same way that Hiles Anderson College is a ministry of First Baptist Church of Hammond. The college and the church, um, in the case of Thomas Road and Liberty, are related under the same, I don't know if they're, are they under the same corporation? Do we know that? No, they were originally. uh, What, because what happened was Jerry Falwell Sr., um, basically divided them later and basically okay. said Jerry Falwell Jr. is going to run Liberty University and um his his son his other son Jonathan who is the the more spiritual one of his children was going to be the pastor at Thomas Road Baptist. So what I do know is that the church has less control over the college than more traditional fundamentalist institutions. I made reference to the idea that Falwell wanted to bring fundamentalism into, if not into the mainstream, at least into the fringes of mainstream acceptability. I have a quote from a Washington Post article from 1988 that I thought was extremely enlightening. Quote, uh, long ago, he had recognized that fundamentalists had two choices do what evangelicals had done and abandon the name fundamentalism or retool its popular meaning and image. He opted for retooling, publicly distancing himself from the idiots and snake handlers of his faith, even in the 50s, and moving quickly to plan for the construction of his magnificent church with its antebellum pillars and its aura of prosperity and permanence. Over the years, Falwell had learned that those with power to give or take away social respect used even the smallest details as excuses to disregard him and his people. Unfashionable dress, poor grammar, beehive hairdos, vitalis, beat-up cars, dumpy churches, orange shag carpets. These weren't seen as simple differences in taste and manner, but as proof that fundamentalists were stupid, not deserving of respect that they existed at the margins of America. So he figured out what Jack Scott figured out. Yes. Decades earlier. Yes. This is exactly what Jack Scott tried to do around 2008, 2009 with the IFB movement, starting with the book, Where Are We Going? Make it palatable to people who aren't a part of it so that they're comfortable with fundamentalists. Maybe they never join a fundamentalist church, but they're comfortable partnering with fundamentalists and making political alliances in the case of Jerry Falwell. So in that spirit of wanting to fit in, wanting to look upper class, wanting to look acceptable, shiny, you know, um, trendy, how did Falwell set up the school that he believed would become the Baptist Notre Dame? I would classify the original rules of liberty as being similar in spirit, but not in letter to Hiles Anderson rules. So Liberty prohibited drinking, dancing, premarital sex, and kissing. They had female students wear skirts to the knee and male students wear ties to class, all of that. But Liberty was always less specific with their roles. So Hiles Anderson says, talk about dress code for male students. Hiles Anderson says, male students must wear a dress shirt and tie to class. Short sleeve shirts are permitted, but if a a student is wearing a short sleeved dress shirt, he must also wear a blazer or a suit jacket, and all male students have to wear a suit jacket in the dining hall until at least 6 p.m. on Monday through Friday. There's rules on rules on rules on rules. Liberty says, male students must wear a dress shirt and tie to class. That's it. Oh, that's not that bad. <laughs> it's that's... right. It's, it is the same rule as Hiles Anderson, if we're talking about early Liberty rules versus early Hiles Anderson rules. But Hiles Anderson is so nitpicky. They're just like, you have to be ironed and you can't have buttons that are the 
a fun color and the shirt the shirt must be a a plain you can't have this pattern you can't have the and Hiles Anderson had like additional rules about button down collars like if you have a button down collar it must be buttoned you know <sighs> liberty so Hiles Anderson has half a page defining a proper men's haircut liberty says men must have short hair and that's it and so liberty leaves the students to define short or more more accurate more accurately liberty allows the staff members who have the ability to dress code students to define short but they it is at least more of an appearance of treating their students like adults liberty rules changed over time and they changed more quickly than other extreme fundamentalist institutions another quote from the washington post article describes liberty students dress in the late 80s today kids wander about campus in punk rock attire jeans and flashy ties and shirts meant not to match the rules are still strict no dancing gambling hollywood movies booze tobacco dresses only two inches above the knees when seated ties worn to class no displays of affection no rock music but boys will wear crew neck sweaters to hide absent ties and girls will wear long skirts with high slits to look more alluring until the campus enforcers catch them rock music can be found and as of last year boys and girls can even hold hands rather than soft pedal liberty's new mainstream feel fallwell revels in it the message kids can be fundamental and hip man that's like this is very ginger duggar-esque in the sense it's like you can have most of the things that you want please 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 still be kind of mostly christian and hate gay people please 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 it's cool you can still look kind of cool we promise the rest of the world these rules look extreme but to kids at hiles anderson these rules look so permissive i unfortunately wasn't able to find a good a vintage copy of the liberty rules but i did find quite a few articles about recent changes to liberty rules for example a mental floss article by kevin roos who later went on to write a book about his time at liberty pointed out that in 2007 any dancing at all was a violation of the rules and would result in a 25 dollars fine and six reprimands which are liberty's version of demerits it seems but by 2009 just two years later rules had been relaxed organized dancing such as salsa lessons or ballroom dance competitions was allowed while social dancing like attending a party where there was dancing was still very much off limits okay so they're they're taking the uh the henry ford uh square dancing is cool route that's not surprising (laughs) just none of that jazz stuff none of the (laughs) right (laughs) so liberty started with similar similar rules to hiles anderson on physical touch but there has been a progression over time on that as well the mid-2000s rules were that hand holding was allowed hugs could be given between people of different genders for a maximum of three seconds get your stopwatch out yes uh the outdated 2022 2023 liberty way isn't quite that prescriptivist it doesn't give us a time limit anymore the liberty way is this the student handbook yeah okay um i will quote from the current student handbook in personal relationships students are encouraged to know and abide by common sense guidelines to avoid the appearance of impropriety for example students should avoid visiting alone with the opposite sex at an off-campus residence entering the residence hallway quad or on-campus apartment of the opposite sex or allowing the same 
or visiting any dwelling or residence with a member of the opposite sex in inappropriate circumstances. Additionally, sexual misconduct, including sexual activity, inappropriate personal contact, any state of undress in inappropriate circumstances, or spending the night with a member of the opposite sex are prohibited. So they don't tell you you can't touch. They don't tell you you can't hold hands or hug, or even they don't even really tell you you can't kiss. But what they do tell you is... Well, you can't have sex and you can't do anything that would make people think like think that you're having sex. And it appears that students have a little more leeway. It's all about avoiding the image of impropriety, which is interesting because that's a huge part of that secondary separation thing that you were talking about. Like if somebody mm -hmm. sees you walking down the beer aisle. Right. They think you're buying beer. Then they think you like even if you're just walking down the like you have to walk down the beer aisle to get to the, the bulk aisle. But the thing is that making the rules this vaguely worded gives staff members more power over students because what is inappropriate physical contact if it's not defined in the rule book any staff member can see you doing anything and say that's inappropriate physical contact right because it could violate their personal views of what is appropriate or what is not appropriate exactly inappropriate circumstances that's right really... what is inappropriate circumstances what is the appearance of impropriety? Of course, we're going to talk about some uh, state of undress and appearance of impropriety in the next episode, but this I think it's clear even before we get to that, that this gives staff more power. As a side note, um, Liberty has the same rule as Bob Jones University that protests are not allowed unless approved by administration. So uh, if you get written up for inappropriate personal contact, then you can't even protest it unless the administration approves you protesting against the administration. What? This is another <laughs> important rule that's going to come back up in the next episode. The current Liberty Way notes that student, students will not be punished for pregnancy, which sounds nice, right? That sounds like oh, well, you don't have sex and you'll get in trouble if you have sex, but if you do have sex and you end up pregnant and you report it to a university staff member, you won't be punished for the sex that got you pregnant because we want to help you. This falls under their self-report clause. The self-report clause says that if students report, for example, a crime that they were a victim of while they were also in violation of school rules, they won't be punished for violating school rules because they had to tell on themselves to report a different crime. Unfortunately, I don't trust any fundamentalist college to actually do what they say they're going to do. And as we will get into next week, this clause is intended to protect maybe maybe a student experiences a sexual assault on campus, but they were drinking at the time that the assault happened. So if they report the assault, they should be immune from getting in trouble for drinking. Unfortunately, this clause does not work the way that it is hypothetically intended to in real life. And we will get into that next week. The thing that I can see is that it's this clause is probably there so that they're going to think, well, if they think that they will get in trouble for being pregnant, then they're more likely to have an abortion. Right. And the college wants the appearance of saying that they're going to help people who do end up with an unplanned pregnancy. Yeah. Even though they do are the not right thing here. No, it's going to. No. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Absolutely not. So on to something a little lighter. I know everyone probably wants to hear about current dress guidelines. <laughs> that's a, that's what's always interesting to me because that is so strongly, such a strong like coded thing in fundamentalism. Your dress code says so much about your beliefs and your practices if you're a fundamentalist. Current dress guidelines emphasize neat, modest, and appropriate clothing. Very interestingly, there is only one dress code section that deals with students of all genders, which of course at Liberty means male and female, but it isn't split into two sections, which is so super liberal. Uh, quote, students must dress modestly and appropriately at all times. Clothing should cover all aspects of the chest, midsection, including sides and waist to approximately mid-thigh while on campus. And that's for everybody. Interesting. Okay. Liberal. Yeah. <laughs> The dress code prohibits sheer clothing without a solid layer underneath. It specifically allows for earrings and plugs in ears and specifies that small studs or rings may be worn in the nose, although no other facial jewelry is permitted, which means, Gavi, unfortunately, I'm pretty sure you fit the Liberty dress code. <laughs> well, right now I'm wearing a T-shirt with the sleeves cut off and ripped jeans. So how low are the sleeves cut off? Do they show like your rib cage? Because uh, if they do, yeah. then you're in violation. Okay, I'm in violation. See, here's the thing: is that they, so? They say that studs are allowed, and 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 plugs are allowed in your ears. I assume that that's there so that they can get those. Uh, like if if you're like a in a Christian hardcore band, yeah, like a, a or a, a Christian post hardcore, um, right. then you can go to Liberty. That's fine, you know. Right. Um, uh, so women are allowed to wear long pants to class, although inexplicably men aren't allowed to wear dresses or skirts uh skirts must be approximately mid-thigh or longer liberal oh my gosh that's super uh, liberal yeah shorts are not allowed as part of class dress but shorts that are longer than mid-thigh are allowed for casual dress and i'm pointing out they say mid-thigh that is an that is subjective that is another thing that gives staff the ability to pick on students that they want to dress code and leave other people alone of course, before we get excited about all of this liberalism, we should note that any that it is in the rule book that any PDA with a person of the quote same sex is not allowed, nor is quote 
asking to be referred to by pronouns inconsistent with one's birth sex. Wow. Mm -hmm. That seems like that's illegal. That should pronouns be illegal. That's against the liberty rules. <laughs> so having reviewed the current Liberty Way handbook and looked into what the rules may have been in the past as best as I could piece it together, I see the same gradual changes as we've seen in the Hiles Anderson handbook. I recently saw a picture online of some Hiles Anderson kids, and I immediately went on a rant about things that would not have been allowed when I was a student there. <laughs> like there was, uh, there was a girl wearing like a strappy tank top over a white t-shirt. Wow. Which fundamentalist teenagers have been wearing that since I was a fundamentalist teenager. That's not new. But it was absolutely not allowed at Hiles Anderson when I went there. Um, the process of gradually changing your rules to keep up with new generations is not just a liberty thing. I do think that there's a difference between Hiles Anderson and liberty, though. When Hiles Anderson changes a rule, it's almost secretive. They don't talk about it. They don't acknowledge that it's changed. It's taboo. Everyone just starts following the new relaxed rule very quietly. It's almost as if, like, if you call attention to it, they're going to change it back. So don't say anything. Like, maybe they accidentally changed this rule to be more relaxed. Don't say anything. Don't mention it to staff. Just start following the new rule. Dot your, uh, dot your eyes, cross your T's, and hopefully they don't notice and change it back on us. <laughs> Like, that's the attitude. The one exception to this that I experienced at Heil Sanderson is when they changed the rules about when hosiery is required. That one was met with loud celebration and fanfare by all affected by the rule. <laughs> Liberty, on the other hand, embraces these changes. It's all part of the old Falwell branding, even though he's been gone for decade and a half now it's see we're not like those other people we're cool we're flexible we have our standards but we're not trying to get in your way with our standards at hiles anderson the standards are the distinctive the important thing they're shouted from the rooftops but at liberty there's almost an apologetic tone well we're sorry but we have to have some rules and we'll try to make them as unobtrusive as possible as we're going to talk about in part two of this episode what part two of this episode, what these two institutions have very much in common is that mercy for those who break the rules is highly subjective, while the leaders themselves can break them with impunity. And I'm excited to hear about that because that is, I mean, that is, that is fundamentalism and that's also corruption in a nutshell. Speaking of corruption, Liberty University has essentially become the university to attend if you are interested in going to state or federal politics for the Republican Party. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you take the emails on that one. <laughs> if you attend Liberty in their political department and you do well, then you are well placed for internships with like a right wing think tank or like a senator, member of Congress, because Liberty is only three and a half hours drive from Washington, D.C. So the connections between Liberty and, and, and D.C. run deep. Additionally, Liberty has become like a, a mandatory campaign stop for Republican presidential candidates. Very interesting. This is, yeah, this is something that I'm so interested in. I want to know how a Christian college is so crucial politically for an entire political party. It's actually fascinating. It's, it's so interesting to me. But if you think about it, it makes sense because young people, 17, 18, 19 year olds, overwhelmingly liberal now more than they ever have at any time in our nation's history uh 
shouts out to Gen Z. People with college education are also overwhelmingly liberal. Shouts out to millennials, most educated generation ever. Teachers, uh, like uh, most teachers, uh, teachers in this country are overwhelmingly liberal and college professors are also overwhelmingly liberal. Let's say you are a young person. And, and by the way, this is something that like conservative media loves to just bitch and moan about how, uh, how liberal teachers and, and college professors are. It's, it's like one of their pet topics that they use to go after education but say you are a young person and you want to make the world a better place and you're going into politics for a career and you're like a young liberal person you're gonna need to go to college and if you're a liberal you're gonna be spoiled for choice basically there are many 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 respectable state colleges and universities that have excellent political science programs there are many reputable private colleges and universities that have a political science programs that you can go into. And if you want to get work experience, you can go to a school that is in the same city as like a, a state capital. So you can try to get an internship at the state capital. And then when you graduate, you have good recommendations, you have good work experience and you have, and you can, you know, go off and get a job working for a candidate. You can go off and, and work for a, a lawmaker um, state rep, senator, what have you do that for a few years. And then you maybe go to law school, you pick an area that you're passionate about and go into work for that, like, and you go into work for that specialty. So you could go to law and say, you could go to focus on like labor laws. And when you get out of law school, you go and maybe you work for organized labor and do that for a few years. You know, maybe you've got that specialty and you run for Congress or you run for city council or something. And Democratic voters could look at your record and say, okay, this candidate went to law school and then devoted the next three years of their life to litigating for the steelworkers union. And then the next three years after that, they were litigating for the teachers union. Both the teachers union and the steelworkers union endorsed them. So I think I'm going to vote for them. And that's how you could do it. And of, of course, that's very simplified, but that's generally how it can work. But if you're conservative, it's not as easy. So you could go to a state school, you could go to a private school in your state's capital city and try to get an internship with a Republican lawmaker. And chances are in your politics classes, your professors are going to be teaching a more liberal and also probably more accurate version of politics and political theory. And if you want to get into the Republican Party as it is today and write for and like write your term papers about how like the radical woke agenda is coming to pick your kindergartner's gender or something or like how Black Lives Matter did Benghazi or whatever loony fever dream the right has cooked up this week, um, you're probably not going to get very good grades if you turn that paper in. And you're also going like, yeah, you're also probably going to find yourself socially alienated as we discussed in our Manosphere episode. If, so if you are a teenage chud who believes that other human beings are less valuable than you, then you can either A, hide your radical political leanings until you are done with law school and then tell your classmates that you work for a Republican rep for work experience or whatever, and then not discuss the details of that. Or you can find a place where you can write term papers about how liberals are all devil worshipers and crackpot like legal theories that can be used to install a fascist biblical rule in the United States and go to Liberty University because that's what they're for. <sighs> yeah. So the link between the Republican Party and Liberty University runs deep. If you are a conservative candidate and you pretty much have to be palatable 
to Liberty University because you're setting the party platform and this is where the people who are the future candidates and interns and, and staffers and campaign managers for your party are going to get their education. Notably, Ted Cruz announced his presidential bid at Liberty University in uh, March of 2015. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former South Carolina Governor and UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, they all spoke there. Mike Pence spoke there while he was vice president. Sitting President George Herbert Walker Bush spoke there in 1990. And inmate number 10667, a.k.a. former President Donald J. Trump, spoke there in 2017. But yeah, like, so if you are a conservative political candidate or you are like a, a one of those, if you're on the circuit, if you're trying to, to get elected office to like nationwide office or something, like if you're trying to be president or, or vice president or something like that, you go to Liberty, you speak at Liberty and you, you they're like really important. Do you want to know the weirdest two politicians to like to have spoken yes. at Liberty? One I kind of get, but the other for me is just like what? Like why would this person speak at Liberty University? The first the first guy who who I'm I'm talking about, who I kind of get, former president Jimmy Carter. Because on one, on one hand I get it, Jimmy Carter Southern Baptist. But it's also a bit weird because Falwell basically started the moral majority in order to unseat Jimmy Carter and it worked. I guess like Carter turned the other cheek, I guess. I don't know. That would be on brand for him. That would be on brand. Um, he is, when we're recording this episode, he is currently on hospice care. And so I want to send the best wishes to him and his family. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have a really cool picture of my grandparents with Jimmy Carter. They um, traveled to, after after he was done being president, they traveled to his church because he still taught a Sunday school class at his church and they wanted to just go visit his Sunday school class. So I have a neat picture of them with him after he left the presidency. Best wishes towards him and his family. Yeah. Who's the person who is the actual weirdest person ever to speak at Liberty? Yeah. the This person <laughs> campaigned at Liberty University for a presidential run and ultimately unsuccessful per presidential run. This per Bernie Sanders of all people. This one, I, I do I do not get this one at all. Bernie Sanders notably is a socialist and pro-choice and pro-LGBTQ rights. And also he's not a Christian. So I don't know why he's going to go speak at Liberty U. But Well, I found like in some other looking that I was doing for the second part of this episode that will come out next week, um, I did find out that Liberty at one point had a Young Democrats Club. Really? So, yeah. Uh, and then the university officially removed sanctions from the Young Democrats Club, um, which is on brand telling. Yeah. How do you like how did they literally like say you can't be a member of this political party if you go? How is that legal? That's, I, we're going to talk about a lot of that kind of thing. In that's the future. crazy. When did they get shut down? When did I uh, it was it was under Jerry Jr.'s time as president. And I believe it was around 2015. Um, if I'm remembering, I'll I'll try to put my source in with next week's episode so that I'll make sure I have the correct. But yeah, there was for a long time. Of course, there's a Young Republicans Club at Liberty, but there was for quite a while a Young Democrats Club as well. Um, but the school, they couldn't shut it down, but they officially removed the school sanction from it over, I think, abortion rights. Yikes. I'll try to hunt up my source and either link it 
and or mention it in next week's episode. So they shut it down around the same time that Bernie Sanders went to go speak at this. This is wild. Yeah. So what what did he have to say at Liberty? So the whole speech is up there on YouTube. Basically, what he said was, we disagree on same sex marriage and abortion. And then he spent like a half hour talking about wealth and income inequality, which, you know, they probably needed to hear it. I mean, but it's like 2015, so that's the backbone of his message. Like, I know how I personally feel about him delivering that message to that audience at that time and being just like, we disagree on same-sex marriage and abortion, but I'm here to talk about income. Like, I know how I I feel about that, especially considering the progression and slash regression that those civil rights issues have taken seven and a half years later. Um, I understand if other people feel differently about it. See, I was going to say, like, maybe, maybe he was thinking these issues that the, the majority of Liberty students see as moral issues is not something that I can get through to them on, but I can maybe get through to them on income inequality issues that maybe hit them closer to home. Mm, yeah, maybe. I don't, I, I like, I mean, the, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into that. Um, Yeah. It's. It's weird to me that Falwell would allow him to speak there. It's weird seeing Jerry Falwell Jr. on stage with Bernie Sanders. That was a trip being like, hey, he's like introducing Bernie Sanders. Like, and now Bernie Sanders. (laughs) So I'm sure it's the kind of like, that's the kind of thing that Hiles would have called liberal and compromising if he had still been alive. I found some quotes from when this happened. Liberty leadership was able to spin allowing Bernie to speak as allowing students to make their own worldviews. So ultra conservatives associated with Liberty were definitely pissed off about this. But the dean of students at the time, Robert Mullen, very smugly commented, I think the left might be surprised that we invited Bernie Sanders because the left doesn't tend to invite conservatives and hear the conservative point of view. So I pulled uh, that from an archived Washington Post article. It doesn't, the, the article does not verbally note Mullen's smugness. I just assume that he was smug, but I feel like from that quote, I stand by my assumption that he was smug about this. So I think that's why they did it because they were able to spin it as, well, we're just, we're the tolerant right wing. You know, we think our students should be able to hear liberal views because clearly they won't, you know, they'll hear the error in those ways. The assertion that the left, that, that like liberal universities don't invite conservative speakers or like insane speakers is kind of wild because you remember back when like Milo Yiannopoulos was getting yeah. regular speaking gigs at universities and then people kept protesting them and then people would like, there would be just like brawls outside. Ben Shapiro's whole shtick is he's like, I'm going to go to a college campus and out debate everybody on their debate club. And I'm going to invite them to debate me like that. That that was like his whole thing is that he would be like, I'm having like, like, I know that people ought to stay politically informed, but I try to pay as little attention to Ben Shapiro as I can. Good call. He's not. I just don't see. I think there are more important things for me to be informed on than whatever he's doing. Yeah. But I think like that's why they had Bernie because it was great PR. My theory is that the right wing media sphere had been intentionally boosting Bernie Sanders because they thought that he could damage Hillary Clinton's chances at winning the election. Mm. Um, that's interesting. Th- I mean, that's, I mean, they, they were doing that. We know that they were doing that. They freely admitted that they were giving, that they were boosting Bernie on purpose. 
I don't know if that's the reason why Liberty did it, but we're going to get into their involvement in the 2016 presidential election next episode. So um, much involvement in yeah. the 2016 presidential election, possibly an illegal amount of involvement. Uh, in 1989, so we're jumping back in time a little bit, Falwell disbanded the moral majority, although donations were falling a lot and they were less popular uh, at the time of its disbandment. Falwell Sr. said that they were disbanding it because it had accomplished its mission. Mm. And that definitely, like when you look at it in the context of donations were down popularity of the group was down the popularity of conservative values was falling um in the late 80s it may have seemed like that was another pr spin from jerry senior right right like it seems like oh we're saying we've accomplished our mission so that we can make a graceful exit and not continue to absolutely not continue to bleed money and lose face but while accomplished its mission may have seemed premature at the time the actions taken by the moral majority still affect politics today it's also to do with i think because the liberty itself was in dire financial straits at the time and they couldn't be oh yeah and would stay funds. that way until jerry jr took over Right. Um, because also, you know, Americans were no longer as willing to tolerate the constant religious intrusion in, in like the puritanical moral majority in their influence. Most people, I think at the time, saw them as neither moral nor the majority. And like after eight years of Ronald Reagan, it was difficult for them to, to for like fundamentalists to really portray themselves as threatened or in need. Right. And the whole PMRC thing happened in 1980, started in 1985, and that had become unpopular and shown itself to be ineffective. Yeah. And people really were also very sick of televangelists. Like you had. There were scandals around tele other televangelists that had kind of soured people's opinions of them. You know what I would love to do an episode on? You know how Oral Roberts went on his show and said, if I don't get $8 million by the end of March, then God will strike me down and I will die? No, I was not really aware of that until you brought it up. That happened. That's cr And then he didn't make $8 million and he somehow didn't die. But like pe those scandals were really well publicized and people really saw like religious people as they, they were sick of like the self-righteousness and and the and the televangelists by that time so it, it like it had its heyday and then it ended and and Falwell shut it down in a washington post article so the same washington post article that i've been referencing from 1988 jerry falwell senior oh a quick tw for anti-semitism uh jerry falwell <sighs> senior was asked if Anne frank went to hell he said yes she didn't believe in Jesus. She didn't ask Jesus to forgive her sins. So unfortunately, Yo! yes, she went to a literal hell. The same article reports Jerry Falwell Jr. Still over a decade, actually almost two decades away from becoming president of Liberty University, being asked the same question about Gandhi. Someone asked Jerry Jr. if Gandhi went to hell, and he emphatically said no. Jerry Falwell Jr at the time, was still identifying as a fundamentalist, although later he would say that was not true. He had never been a fundamentalist. Before Jerry, Jerry Sr.'s death, Jerry Jr. was a lawyer with his own firm in Lynchburg. Next week, we will pick up <clears throat> where we left off. 
with the many scandals and hilarious scandals of Jerry Falwell Jr., with some of the scandals that plagued the college and how this whole college thing went after the death of Jerry Falwell Sr. And uh, yeah, more of that story. That'll be exciting. Make sure you guys join us next week for that. Um, if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you can follow, you can subscribe to our Patreon for an extended version of today's episode. Uh, you can find that on patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Join our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Send us your pride stories. Make sure that you include your name, uh, whatever name you want us to refer to you by, and your pronouns so that we can refer to you respectfully. You can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Sadie, social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Thankful I decided to change